Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Please follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, it's been the better part of five years since uh, I've been here. And um, my wife, Denise, and I were actually a part of the initial group, uh, if you will, that helped start this church. And uh, we were actually sort of the, the foreigners, if you will, like kind of everybody was coming from Providence Church, and uh, we were this sole couple coming from uh, Ray's Mill Baptist Church in McKinney uh, because we believed in church planning, and uh, we wanted to see the movement of God. And, and so uh, it is such a gift to be here this morning for the many familiar faces, and yet like, remind me of your name again. Uh, and I know the events that have happened uh, as we have been not far off. Uh, although not with you, uh, praying for the needs of Christ Redeemer. And so um, as uh, John and, and others have mentioned, uh, I'm on staff at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, just about 30, 45 minutes uh, south of here. 
And my wife is the executive director of Embrace Texas, which is a gospel partner of Christ Redeemer. And uh, Rachel Myers and Andy Myers, which we were in uh, a community group with here uh, at Christ Redeemer while we were members, uh, Rachel's on staff. And so uh, if we have the privilege certainly to come back and worship with you again, uh, I'd love to share more about the work that I get to lead uh, at Christ, uh, I'm sorry, at Watermark, uh, as well as the work that uh, Embrace Texas gets to do as we care for vulnerable children and families here in Collin County through Embrace, as many of you have even served at Collin House and the work that's being done there. But um, also in the work that, that I get to lead at Watermark as uh, we care for women and men with unexpected pregnancies and past abortions and walk alongside them, uh, just bringing the gravity of the gospel to bear on those who have um, been wounded and broken, as well as coming alongside parents that uh, have had their kids removed into foster care and helping them be restored as the biblical precedent of the kinsman redeemer ethic that we find throughout scriptures and certainly the stories of Ruth and Boaz and Esther and Mordecai and, and on and on. Uh, like, don't get me started. Uh, we, could, we could be here a long time talking about foster care adoption, vulnerable people, and, and uh, what it looks like for the church to uphold justice and mercy in our community. But um, uh, I want to start because I uh, was talking to a good friend that I, I go into work every weekday morning and I sit down and uh, do my devotional about 30 minutes before I kind of start my day. And a good friend of mine that we've kind of struck up a relationship sits down next to me. And, and uh, as we read the scriptures and as we pray kind of individually, we end up in some witty banter about whatever the thoughts are. And uh, I, I mentioned that I was coming to, to teach this morning, and he, he said, well, uh, tell me about Christ Redeemer. And I said, I, I think the best way that, that I can describe it, it, it is the first church that I was ever a part of where you could feel the weight of what it meant to be the church. Um, like there was a gravity to what we were doing together uh, that was not just activity. And uh, he, I think maybe like you, he was like, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, it, it was the first church that I was ever a part of where men sang loudly. It was the first church I was ever a part of where, where we were encouraged and corporately confessed our sins and were reassured um, of our salvation in Christ. Uh, where the teaching of the scriptures was not just a, a nice add-on to all the other activity and social kind of clubbiness that, that we did as a church. It was the, the first church where um, we came together and um, our families prayed uh, together as the, we then took the elements at the end of each service. And uh, he went, that sounds like a weighty church. And so uh, I went, it is. It is a weighty church. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I, I want to make sure that, um, that you know you're probably not going to hear anything remarkably new this morning. Uh, I, I don't have uh, any great insights from Bruce's experience to share with you from my time at Watermark or any of that, uh, but what I want to do is embolden you uh, to remember who you are and whose you are, because uh, this doesn't just have um, influence for uh, this church this morning. Uh, it has influence for 
every church you and I will ever leave our mark on, every conversation you and I will ever engage in, whether it's with a fellow believer, a fellow uh, citizen and child of God that we encourage, or uh, you know, someone who doesn't know the Lord. Uh, it certainly has an impact into how we are discipling our children and the legacy of churches. I, I'm uh, assuming that many of us had a childhood uh, un unfamiliar with the weight of the church, where it was like, are we waking up at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 8 a.m. again, and we, we're going to go sit in that place, and I'm going to kind of nod off while my parents stand and sing and sit and stand again and sing some more and sit. It's like, what is the weight of this thing that we do together? And then finally, uh, certainly there is an impact uh, a consequence, a significance for the world that is spiraling in self-destruction. Longing for something or someone that would be both uh, humble and transparent about their own doubts, about their own failures, and yet grounded in the reality of something more. Um, knowing that the church is God's people preparing to what to dwell with him. I want to ground us in that and just remind us of how consequential that reality is. And so um, we're just going to answer three questions. We'll keep it really simple uh, for me, not you. Uh, I want to answer what is the church um, as we look at, at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Uh, I want to answer what is it that the church does and some of the implications therein. And then uh, in all of that, uh, to what end does the church exist? And so if we were walking through, um, you know, expositorily walking through Ephesians, we would talk about, in just preparation, we might even spend, you know, a, a whole uh, sermon together just talking about the significance of the church in Ephesus. And as John prayed for uh, your gospel partners, your mission partners in Turkey, um, Turkey is where Ephesus was and yet uh, is not today. Uh, Ephesus um, is the church that uh, we see in Acts. It's the church that we see in Ephesians. It's a church we see in 1 Timothy. As Timothy was a pastor there, uh, lots of interesting stuff happens in Ephesus, and yet ultimately Ephesus gets a letter in Revelation that says, you have forsaken your first love, and today they are not a church. Um, but I, it would be remiss just because it's some of my, my favorite um, passages in Scripture in Acts. When you look at what happens in Ephesus, uh, there is an event uh, with the seven sons of Siva uh, that I don't have time to unpack for us this morning, but over your lunch, you should read that together and think about the consequences uh, of the reality, the weightiness of what it is to be the church, that then a fight breaks out, a riot breaks out in the city of Ephesus because of the weight of what's going on through the ministry of the gospel of God's people to their community. Can you imagine if just down the road, this little uh, retirement community that's springing up, that's being built, a riot were to break out because of what happens here? Uh, the people across the street would be questioning, what are they doing? What are they saying? Is this truly what they believe? Because they seem to practice it unwaveringly. That um, we would just be a consequential people 
that this thing that we do on Sunday mornings is not just activity. And so Paul writes in Ephesians 2, the former things that we were, and then highlights the current things that we are. And since I'm a child of the 90s, I'm going to be in the New International Version. Um, There are those of you that are like, yeah, okay, thanks, guy. But um, bear with me. So my my translations or or version is is slightly different than uh, what we prepared, uh, and yet we'll find a lot of common ground and be fine. And so read with me, starting in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love that this passage starts out uh, with what is translated as consequently or so then. That, that there is something coming as Paul summarizes this. And as we begin just answering the question, what is the church? He starts by saying, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're not foreigners anymore. You're not aliens, but citizens. Your legal status has changed before God. And your responsibility as well. As foreigners have no legal status or responsibility, you wonder why the world might be so up in arms all the time, politically, about seemingly everything all at once, um, is the realization that this is all that they have. Whereas, as citizens of God's kingdom, uh, we know there is a future, we know that there is sovereignty and security, and, and we don't have to get spun up. Even in the midst of fighting for what is right and standing in what is true and, and, and finding our own moorings and foundation uh, in the scriptures, that, that when somebody says something really off, I don't find myself chasing after the wind with them, clamoring for significance when there is none, that, that I, I recognize that my life is a vapor in the same way that theirs is, and yet uh, there is an eternity to come. Paul says in verse 6 that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms to show the riches of his grace. And here's, I think, where the conflict comes in for us is um, that we can become believers. Uh, Our legal status and responsibilities in God's kingdom can change, and yet we can become really indifferent to what happens in the world. Uh, And that doesn't seem to be in your Bible anywhere, Um, where we just kind of become this holy huddle that is siloed, that is bubbled in, that is protected. Um, And while certainly there is a measure of uh, uniqueness to exclusivity, if you will, to this gathering that we have, uh, this citizenry that we have, um, that we are still not indifferent. We are not apolitical. And so Jeremiah speaks and he says, 
um, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray for it. For if it prospers, you too will prosper. Uh, that we would be intentionally engaged in the needs of those who are hurting, um, not manipulating or compromising in some kind of power control struggle when the nations rage against God's design, but just firmly rooted in what is true. And yet, really intentional about the needs of those around us. It's admittedly a thing for um, my wife and I, as, as we have served in the areas of, of mercy ministry and justice and, and caring for those who are hurting, um, to, to just go, God, wouldn't it be easier if we just set the gospel aside and just went, here is some food? Wouldn't it be easier if we were to just say, here are some clothes or here's a shelter or here's whatever that might be? And And we have literally sat in rooms where people have have told us, if you would just kind of diminish the gospel and and this whole thing of of being children of God and and citizens of heaven, if you would just like set that aside, do you know how much money you could raise? And we've had friends that have made those introductions, that have sat in those rooms and just kind of looked at us and been like, I am so sorry I brought them in here. (laughs) And they're about to be too, because you're about to share the gospel with them now, aren't you? Yeah, man, they have, they have missed it. That if we have only engaged in the needs of this world to make people better sinners, then to what end? That they would miss out on the citizenship of heaven and the certainty of who God is while still recognizing that um, Christ has given us a definitive political platform. And so it's, it's not lost on me that like we're in an election season and that's all coming up. Uh, and yet, um, we're not a Republican church. We're not a Democratic church. Uh, Christ has given us a definitive political platform that exalts Jesus as king, that pursues justice and mercy, as Malachi 6, 8 says, that cares for the orphan and the widow, as James 1, 27 says, that upholds righteousness What is this thing that we call the church? We are not foreigners, but citizens. And we are not strangers, but children. And Paul says we have access to the Father. And what a wild thing it is to think that, that we might be interrupting God's day, uh, that, that we might be inconveniencing Him with our requests, our complaints, our groans, and the things that burden our hearts, our provision that God is our Father, like, would you come? Would you come? Strangers have no real attachment to the success or the legacy or the health or the growth of God's family. Um, Often just caught up in self-preservation and self-promotion of whatever benefit they might receive. Uh, And yet, we are siblings chosen by God. As John says, yet to all who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And yet, um, we can treat one another in word 
like we're family, uh, where we come in together and we say, yeah, like we go to the same church and, and we're kind of in this thing that we call a community group or a life group or a small group or, you know, we, uh, you know, we grab lunch every once in a while. And yet oftentimes we lack the vulnerability of um, what it is to be in family together. And so I, I cannot share with you <laughs> the levels of vulnerability that we have in our home and still be appropriate on this stage. Because when you're in family together, there are lots of things that happen and lots of intricacies and problems and conflict that comes about that you're like, okay, we're going to have to repair that. Um, <laughs> we, we can't keep doing that. That's not going to work at the dinner table. It's not going to work as y'all are walking past the hall. Or even the things that, that happen within a home where we hide our sin that we've been dabbling in that eventually get found out. And I'm telling you that the weight of the church as we come together and go, it, this, is, this is not just a safe place to confess your sin. This is a consequential place to confess your sin because it means that you don't have to and you don't get to continue to walk alone. Because we're family. Because we are children of God. That we don't close ourselves off to wise counsel regarding our finances, our parenting, our marriage. Like, talk about getting into the family. When you start giving people parenting advice about how they should raise their children because of the experience that you've had knowing that every single parent, every single one of us steps into parenting for the first time brand new. Kind of look at what our parents did. We kind of read some books and stuff and then it's like game on. But as family that we would come alongside each other and go, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that anymore. That's a bad idea. How do you know that? Well, because we used to do that. That's how we know it's a bad idea. Yeah, you probably shouldn't continue to put money on your credit card. That's poor stewardship. You should address that. Let us help you address that. Why would we do that? Like, how foreign is that? How strange is that to the world? I mean, even within the church, I hear so many times people just say, that's none of your business. We sit next to each other in church. That's what we do. And I go, then we are not the church if that is all that we do. If all we do is consume information together, and we've missed what the church is. And so if we're not citizens of God's kingdom and members of his family, if you're in this room this morning and you're going, yeah, okay, um, I thought I knew what the church was, but this is actually a little bit new because I have just been treating this as a Sunday morning activity where I'm, I'm, I haven't been as, as confessional. I, I read the words on the screen, but I, did, I didn't treat you like a brother that has my best interest at heart because of the glory of God. If that's you, man, I, I want to encourage you uh, maybe in what will be an awkward transition to stop listening to me and go back to the beginning of Ephesians 2 and just start wrestling with the truths of what Jesus says we were and what his work now says we have become. Recognizing that um, 
we've got to wrestle with the separation of Jew and Gentile and the poverty and the racism and the violence and the brokenness and the disunity of the world and ask, what hope is there to restore or fix these things? And then confront ourselves with the person, the teaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if you're in this room and you're going like, yeah, I resonate with all of that, Bruce. I resonate with being a citizen of this glorious city of God. Um, I resonate with being a child. And uh, I, while I do it imperfectly, uh, I, I want to continue to press into his family. I, I want to ask, have you been faithfully living that out? Um, where can you take ground this week? The second question that uh, I said I wanted to ask was, not just what is the church, but then what does the church do? And um, Paul continues as he picks up from the end of 19. As members of his household, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That word actually um, also translates the capstone. And so not only is Jesus the, the first and preeminent stone that the building is laid and everything gets its measure from, it is also the final crowning achievement to say it is complete. It says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so when we think about what the church does, not just who the church is, that first and foremost, um, we acknowledge, we affirm, we celebrate, we promote uh, the cornerstones of our faith. That our citizenship and family is established on Jesus as the chief cornerstone primarily, the one that the builders rejected, with the apostles and prophets secondarily, that testify to who the chief cornerstone is. And so um, the thing that, that has uh, been a, maybe a conflict for me is as I have um, gone to church since I was a child, I, I came to this church. And uh, we walked in, this is not like public knowledge, but since we're family, uh, we came to this church and in our season of transition, we were in what is undoubtedly the greatest crisis of our family's life. And I don't have time to unpack and peel the layers of this thing back this morning. Uh, and I certainly don't want to just kind of vomit uh, all that was going on. But I walked in and uh, I remember two men just kind of looking at me and going, are you sure you're a Christian? It was that kind of crisis. And I'll never forget sitting in our bathroom, uh, talking to Denise, and just going, like, I'm grasping for straws. And uh, we just kind of went, what can we be certain of? And in that moment, I went, I am certain that Jesus was a real person. He did die on the cross, and he did come back to life. I am certain that there is a God, and I am not him. That's all we got. And uh, that was enough for that moment. But two men uh, just lovingly handed me this ginormous book on the doctrine of the Word of God. 
and said, uh, we're going to grab lunch at Fuzzy's at least once a month, and we're going to read this book together as we continue to read the scriptures together. And just faithfully, faithfully patiently walked me uh, back to where I could reaffirm the cornerstones of our faith. And I think what happens is, like, we just get kind of familiar with an old book and it being confusing. And we stop digging in to um, the mysteries of who God is because it's hard work. Like, in the same way that, that the scriptures aren't meant to be confusing, they're also not meant to be Dr. Seuss either. He even says that we will be hearing but not perceiving. Those of us who are foreigners and strangers, and yet he will give ears to those who hear that we would become citizens, that we would become family. And listen, I, I, like, I don't think I'm, I'm shocking anybody with this, but biblical literacy is at like a pretty impressive low, not just in our community, uh, but certainly across our nation. This past week, we, we listened to a message that included a, a video of our brothers and sisters in China getting their first Bibles, and these are like elderly adults who are weeping over this book that they received. And so many of us have five or six of these laying around at the house collecting dust. But you know biblical literacy is really low whenever people like the governor of California put a billboard up to offer um, care to women with unexpected pregnancies in his state and then adds the side note from the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. But that's what it is to care for others. Um, and you know, we, we just read that, didn't get spun up by it, we went, man, that is the world doing world things. Uh, that is Satan doing Satan things. And I don't, I don't have to, to lose my mind and shift my, my worldview away from the political platform that Jesus is king and go chase after something else. I can just stay right here. But affirming the cornerstones of our faith, recognizing that Parents, um, we get to disciple our kids as the primary teachers and influencers of our families, sharing with them the weight of history and the reliability of the scriptures. Um, this past week, we got to, to baptize our youngest son. He's eight. And uh, I had a number of people kind of walk up to me. They were like, can an eight-year-old really make that decision, make that public profession of faith? And I said, yeah, we've had, we've had quite a few conversations. He's had conversations outside of our family to affirm this. But um, I'll never forget driving into his elementary school one morning because I like to just be intentional with knowing that I've got 10 minutes every single day of his undivided attention that I get to have a little conversation of just like, hey, where are you in your walk with God? And... Uh, who, who do you think he is? What, what is the weight or the consequence of this life that we have? Like, what do you think? And really clearly, he just said back to me, he's like, Dad, I just, I just want to know that it's true. I, 
I don't want to just believe it because I feel one way or another. I want to know that it actually happened. And I went, what a gift to get the honest doubts of a child and to be able to turn around and go, let me introduce you to these two guys. One of them's name is Josephus. One of these guys' names is Tacitus. Neither of them were Christians. And both of them testified to who Jesus was and what he did and what was believed by his followers as they were martyred in the Roman Empire. And then we got to continue to walk through the scriptures together, affirming the cornerstones of our faith, because that is what we do as the church. So we bring the weight of who we are to bear and who Christ is to bear on the world around us. And the second thing that Paul says that we do in this passage, it says that in him the whole building is joined together and rises or grows to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so we're equipped in the cornerstones of God's word and we join and rise together. Just as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. And one other thing that I, I, I want to make sure I address, because there's a lot of like young friends in the room. Um, when we talk about the cornerstones of our faith, I, I just want to share with you, like your doubts and your questions about God are not new. Um, they're not novel. They're not a surprise to God, and they shouldn't be a surprise to us as well. Uh, and so just, I, I want to encourage you to abandon the idea that somehow the things that you're wrestling with, no one has ever wrestled with before. No one's ever struggled with before. And instead, turn around and just go, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Could you explain this to me? And continue to walk through those questions with parents and with people that have been walking with God for years and years and years to hear some of their story as they continue to unpack. Like, this is, this is a part of that joining together, that rising and becoming, that growing as the church that we get to do. That we would not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, as the author in Hebrews says. Like, that was written 2,000 years ago. You're telling me they had the same problem 2,000 years ago we're still having today? It's not new. Our struggle with, what does the word say? Like, what is the consequence of this book on our lives? What is the, the weight of this thing that we're doing right now together? has been something that people have wrestled with for ages past and will wrestle with for ages since because we are not perfected yet. There is a sanctification process happening right now in this room as we ebb and flow towards God. Like one of the interesting things to me, specifically about the phrase, um, grows or rises to become a holy temple in the, world, in the Lord, what that tells me is Jesus has already drawn up the blueprints of what we are becoming. 
It's already a finished plan. And it's, it's Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's handiwork that he prepared in advance for us to do. Recognizing that, that not a single one of us is connected, we don't join in isolation. Because then what are we joining? Um, there has forever been a struggle uh, for those who have just gone, you know, like, I, I like the idea of heaven, but I want to do it on my own terms. I like the idea of church, but I, I only want to do that thing that we call church whenever it's convenient for me. Um, one of our, our ministry partners at Watermark is a guy named Wayne Walker, who used to be on staff at DTS and like their IT department. And uh, Wayne was like down in the basement working on IT stuff for Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, at some point, Wayne just got a passion because God moved his heart for the homeless. And so he left IT to go and develop what is um, most likely one of the most impactful ministries to the homeless in Dallas County. And uh, Wayne came to share with our church this past summer a little bit about um, his work and those that they get to serve. And um, the thing that he said is, you know, when, when you're dealing with people who are homeless, you often deal with people who have mental health issues and addictions and, um, and so on and so forth. And he said, but their problem isn't that they don't have a capacity or even a desire at times. Um, their problem is that they have no community. There is a lack of attachment. There is a lack of connection. There is a lack of family because of the brokenness of their sin. And it's similar in vulnerable families that trauma and shame leads to isolation. Um, the world does this too like in our sinfulness, except often what we see, and, and we, we have to grapple with this ourselves, is like we have these layers that, that we have kind of put up, these masks that we've put on that, that just keep us distanced enough that we don't have to be entirely vulnerable with one another. And so it leads to this projection that everything is great. How are you doing? I'm great. How's your family doing? I'm great. How's work? It's great. Maybe if it's not quite so great, how are you? I'm fine. How's your family? We're fine. Where we don't ever, ever have to get into the specificity of our sin, of our pain, of our past, because there's no joining together. Or it's just this superficial joining where we make sure that there's enough distance that we don't really have to be honest about the lack of weight that we feel. And so we affirm the cornerstones of truth and we connect with one another both as citizens and children as well as calling out to those who are hurting, the foreigners and the strangers, the aliens in the world, but to what end? The last question that I want to just wrestle with is to what end, how long do we affirm and connect 
Is it just to make a difference in this world so that we can feel significant? To what end does the church exist? And Paul says, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, The conflict here is that we stop taking seriously the weight of the church and live like it is only an empty shell of a building well-intentioned on the outside, but empty of any real power, of any real consequence. Um, It's why evangelism is so critical to the health and life of our family. Uh, Because as we breathe out the gospel, um, we see new believers come to know the Lord who are often fervent and energetic and on fire for the Lord, recognizing this fire that uh, has been kindled in them as they have been the valley of dry bones and are now on flesh and running after God. Many times without really any good guardrails and discernment, but still on fire nonetheless. And what happens is those of us who've been walking with the Lord for some time have become disenfranchised or disenchanted. It's like, you know what? It's not really that big of a deal. Calm down. We, can, we quench the spirit in them. First Thessalonians 5.19. We quench the spirit in them. We quench the spirit in one another. Not that we would have to drum up energy to get excited. But it's like we've just become so accustomed to nothing happening. We've stopped drawing in to the holiness and the wholeness that we exist for. So we start making compromises in our relationships, in our finances, our language, our entertainment, and we miss the power of God in the weight of the church. Paul says we are joining and rising to become, we are growing into a holy temple. And while we grow together, Paul's not unaware that we still have this tendency to ask, okay, but like, what's in it for me? Like, what do I, like, I'm pouring out, well, like, what is, what is in it for me? And Paul, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, we had a friend reach out, so I'd been at Watermark for about five years, and uh, we're starting a ministry we call the Life Initiative that um, cares for women and men with unexpected pregnancies, past abortions. And, and uh, she called and emailed and like used every form of communication she possibly could to get in touch with us. And, and her name is Amanda. And she said, I want to serve with the Life Initiative. And we went, great. Uh, like, what are, you, what are you bringing? Like, what, like how has God gifted you? And uh, she said, well, first I'm blind. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, like, I have not dealt with this before, but I'm pretty certain God still knows what he's doing. And so, like, how, how can we help you use whatever gifts God has given you to serve? And she said, I know how to pray. 
And uh, what's so powerful about that is how, uh, like, my initial response to Amanda when she told me she was blind is I was like, I don't know, I got nothing. And, uh, and when she said, I can pray, I went, oh, Holy Spirit, why would you do me like that? And um, just the conviction. Uh, and so she began to pray for uh, the women that we were mentoring and walking alongside. She began by name, like she called, hey, Bruce, how is so-and-so doing? I was like, I have no idea. Um, I'm not praying like you were praying, obviously. Uh, I thought for a second there, she was like memorizing their blood type and social security numbers. Uh, like we're talking about prayer and, uh, you know, not this feeble thing that we just kind of loft these ideas and hope. Like when I had people come and engage me after the Dobbs decision, routinely people would tell me, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Did you think it was ever going to happen? And I'd go, well, yeah, because I prayed for it. And it just reveals our conviction about our pursuit of holiness as we pray that sometimes our prayer is not really prayer. We don't expect God to do anything. We've just reverted to this like, I'm just lofting hopeful ideas out into the universe and they seem to be bouncing off walls. But Amanda was praying. And um, even though she was blind, on top of being blind, she had... uh, multiple kidney transplants. So she's going into dialysis three times a week. And just as she's praying for these women that we're caring for, she then turns around and goes, you know, what? I'm going to sit here and do dialysis for several hours. I might as well share the gospel with somebody, whoever's in the room. I cannot see them, but I'm going to be sharing the gospel. And um, this one dude who's in the room with her, just like God bless him. He, I do not want to hear this. I just want to get my dialysis and get out of here. I'm just trying to figure my life out. She just faithfully begins sharing the gospel. And um, last week, Amanda passed away. Uh, and this guy that she shared the gospel with came to know the Lord afterwards. And so the sweetest reality of that is that Amanda was welcomed in to the kingdom of God. And she's going to get to see that guy. She's going to get to engage with that guy no longer as a fellow dialysis patient. Um, she, she's going to see him go, brother, And so I just want to land the plane on three things uh, to challenge you this week to increase the weight of the church. The first thing is double down on the in-home fellowship of the saints. Double down on the in-home fellowship of the saints. We all have to eat. We all have to take naps. We all have to bathe kids. We all have to watch football today. That has to happen. That's the thing. It has to happen. Um, You might as well do it together. Um, We can do all those things with one another. We can invite others in and have a ministry of hospitality in our neighborhood and our community um, rather than do any of that in isolation. And I'd just like to acknowledge it's more fun to watch football with more people in the room. Um, Secondly, celebrate your limitations in Christ's glory. I realize it's a little bit of a... uh, 
uh, a confusing statement to, to give you things to increase the weight of the church knowing uh, who Jesus is, that we don't add anything to the gospel uh, that, that he hasn't already designed. And so in that, stop burdening yourselves to do all the good things you want to do. You cannot do them all. 24 hours in a day were a gift to you. When people ask you how you are, stop saying busy. Um, it, what, it really, what it really communicates is you're just poorly stewarding the resources and the time that God has given you. Uh, his limitations on your life are a gift. And as the church, as we connect, as we join, we grow together, uh, we need to hold each other accountable and encourage each other in that. God's not impressed by us wearing ourselves out. And then the last thing is this. Uh, expect and prepare for more than you can imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Expect and prepare for more. Tonight, as you eat with your family and the sun sets, pray and prepare for what God will do with you this week. Recognizing the consequence, the reality, the weight of what it is that we are as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for the testimonies and the witnesses of uh, friends like Amanda and for this body as it has gathered and continues to do so. God, would you stir our affections for you? And uh, would you embolden us as we are at work, as we are in schools, uh, as we are in homes, as we are uh, shopping for groceries, as we are online? Um, God, that wherever we are, this week, that you would begin preparing our hearts now, uh, that we would continue to join together and become the holy temple that you've designed. God, I'm so grateful for this body and excited about the days ahead. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's holy, powerful, able, wonderful, uh, worthy, majestic, beautiful name. Amen.